and welcome back to the Under Pressure podcast. We're back from our little sabbatical. And wow, what a few weeks it's been in the world of sport. We've seen records all across the world equaled. We'll get to that a little bit later because there's a whole lot happening in the AFL final series in Queensland and South Australia. Not to mention, it's tray time. The excitement for all the bottom 10 sides that we're not good enough to make final that gives their supporters hope for the years ahead. And boy, oh boy, there have been a lot of movements, particularly at the Essendon Football Club and a lot of people trying to enter the Carlton Football Club. Who would have thought? All that and a whole lot more on the Under Pressure broadcast. Join me as he always does every week, which even though we haven't for the last two weeks, Jake Barker, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. It's been a been a bit of a slow couple of weeks, so we're glad to be back, and we'll be back each and every single week, whether it might be both of us or one of us. We'll bring the show to you every single every single Thursday. So good to be back. It's great to be back, and as we said in the intro, we're going to look at what's happening in the AFL final series. We've got two cracking games this week, one of them being Geelong v. the Brisbane Lions. It's the Battle of the Cats. Is it going to be the big scary cat, or is it going to be the little tiny cat that isn't so scary, that's a little bit older and slower? Or is it going to be the other game we're going to talk about, where it's the Port Adelaide Power versus the mighty Richmond Football Club, and that's actually where we're going to start off. Jake? First up, who are you tipping? Cool, straight off the bat, who am I tipping? I mean, my boys Geelong did play Port Adelaide in the hostile environment that was Adelaide Oval in week one. And boy was it boy was it hostile. The fans were getting into everything, getting into umpires, players. I'm sure they even got into their own players at some point in the time. It was just a crazy game. It was and the main thing was is that Geelong didn't kick straight enough and that's what cost them the game. Port played a very good second half and, and Geelong could have matched them in, in, the sec, in the second. So good on them. They, they've, they've proved a lot of people wrong, I think. A lot of people, even though they did finish top, a lot of people haven't been talking about Port Adelaide, I feel. It's been a bit, been a bit about the Lions having the Gabba, Richmond being the team of the last three or four years and then Geelong, who's been good for so many years. The, the talk hasn't really been about Port Adelaide. So it's it's been good that they've been able to uh, get through to a prelim and a home prelim at that. And it's going to be an intense one as well, playing uh, Richmond. It, probably probably the more intense more intense game of, of the two, I'd probably say. If you're a, a neutral fan watching, it'll be a lot, lot harder and tougher at the, at the contest. But certainly going to be a, a big big game and in terms of in terms of a tip I mean Port Adelaide got them pretty well got them pretty well earlier in the year at Adelaide but Richmond were missing a few players my heart says Port Adelaide but my head says Richmond even though I don't want this to happen I'm, I, I think the Tigers are going to get over the line I don't know why I just feel like they're going to bring their form of the last for the last couple of years and and make it through to their make it through to their second granny in a row so 
that that's a, probably a surprising tip. But yeah, that's that's where I'm going to go with this one. What about yourself, Matt? Well, full disclosure, I am wearing a yellow and black hat at the moment. It's not for the Richmond Football Club. It's for Daniel Ricciardo and his amazing Renault Formula One team. But like the hat suggests, I'm on the Tiger train. I think this, this is the year that they cement themselves into dynasty status. Two in three years is a pretty good achievement, but the great teams win three. And of the modern era, post-2000, you've got the Brisbane Lions, you've got the Geelong Footy Club, and you've also got the mighty Hawthorne Football Club as well. And I think this year, they've done just enough to get to the prelim final. Oh, not just enough, but they've just done what they've needed to do to get by. And Dimmer has flicked the switch, and he's ready to go. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think it'll be a very close game. I actually think I actually think both games will be close. I'll be brutally honest. But I think it's going to be Tiger time. I think they've been the best team when it matters over the last few years. And I know that's a pretty easy thing to say, but I, I just I feel more comfortable tipping Richmond. They they're a proven big stage team and I don't think the crowd will phase them. Yeah, I was I was just about to say, yeah, I I, I think finals experience is gonna is gonna work wonders in this game. I know it, it doesn't mean much, but I think the experience of being in a huge final, like you said, is gonna be the difference and the crowd's not gonna play a part at all. The Richmond aren't gonna care about a crowd. This might this this is something that no one else has really said, but I actually sort of think Richmond and Geelong might actually have an advantage having played last week and that's not normally something you'd say most years but given that it's been such a cramped season I think being continuing that weekly football and I know some teams are playing four four, uh, four games in 14 days at some stage of the year but I think just the the practice might actually help these two teams get up across the line if that makes sense yeah, no, I tend to agree with you, actually. Yeah, the obviously it's been cramped, as, as you said, and more games is going to only only bode well for, for all teams, I think. And having a couple of weeks off between the season and the finals and then now between the qualifying final and the prelim in a jam-packed year might not be the best thing. I mean, it's good to rest the bodies and stuff, but this year is like, like no other. So you never know what you're going to get. So wouldn't be surprised if... If both away teams did get did get the win, yeah, and that brings us to the other game, the Saturday game between the Brisbane Lions at the Gabba and the Geelong Footy Club, and I really don't know. I last week was like, I don't really care who wins about Richmond and St Kilda, the better team will win, but ultimately there was a little bit of the underdog story that attracted me to St Kilda last week and for Brett Ratton. I gave Geelong no chance of beating Collingwood last week, and boy, did I look stupid on Saturday night. The Geelong supporter that I'm talking to right now hasn't shut up about it. Geelong really impressed me, just as much as Collingwood did the previous week. I can't actually split these two. I think... 
I think they're such contrasting styles. You've got this, the flamboyancy, the quick pace in Brisbane with pace and youngness and exuberance. And then you've got the old rehearsed, tried, tested system in Geelong. A part of me will say, yeah, I actually think Geelong could go all the way here. There's just something there that I, I just, I'm starting to sense something with Geelong. But I don't, I just, I just can't say it. I can't say I think Geelong are going to win this weekend. So for that reason, I'm having eyes rolled at me by Jake on the other end of this Zoom session. I'm tipping Brisbane. I've been really impressed with Brisbane. They deserve to make the granny. A Brisbane home grand final is an exciting prospect that I think every footy fan would like to see. And I am tipping the Brisbane Lions. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Geelong do win it. Jake? Well, we obviously... I think it's a stupid question. I think it's a stupid question to ask you. Who do you think is going to win? Because we all know that you are going to think it's Geelong. So I'm going to ask you, why do you think Geelong will win? I'm going to, I'm going to go through a, just a couple of things. Even though, obviously, yes, I am going to tip Geelong. Pretty obvious there. But in the games that Geelong's played in finals in finals history it sound, it sounds silly but Geelong win 75 80% of games in finals when they kick more goals than points it sounds silly but some records don't really show that if Geelong kick inaccurately their win percentage is two wins and 10 losses which is like 17 17 odd percent. So I think it's really going to come down to the way Geelong's getting getting their shots at goal and how they get them. They play the Gabba really well. Obviously, Brisbane do as well. Something's going to give this weekend. Brisbane are 10 and 0 at the Gabba. Geelong are 4 and 0 at the Gabba. So it's going to be it's going to be a really good game. And not being from Brisbane, Geelong, Geelong do play the Gabba rather well and have over the this past year. Which is, which is really good signs for them. But obviously Brisbane have had a, had a wonderful year and if they, if they were to if they were to win, I would, I would be tipping Brisbane in the grand final. I think the winner of this game is the team that I'll be going for in the grand final regardless. But yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tight one. As you said, I reckon both could genuinely be under a goal. Both games could be genuinely under a goal and I mean, hopefully that, that goes Geelong's way. I'm not obviously not going to tip against my boys, so I'll be going for Geelong this weekend. This might sound weird, and I know we probably say this every year, but I actually feel like these could be the two closest prelim finals in a long time. I Like, they're genuine 50-50 games. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you're probably right. We do say that every year. And what people say every year is the prelims are the hardest games to win. And they, they really are. There are people that have gotten to, to plenty of prelims without taking that next step. And, and, it, and it's heartbreaking. I know Brad Johnson made five prelims and never got to the uh, end result. Danger's currently sitting on four. He'll go to five this weekend. Lot riding, lot riding for him on, 
on this you, weekend as well. So it's uh, it's it's a big you, weekend. You took the 40. words that I was. You just took the words that um, I think it's um, there is another Geelong player who could be on five uh, prelim final losses this week if the results don't go your way. I can't remember who off the top of my head, but I knew Paddy Dangerfield was one. Yeah, and it's it's, um, uh, it's Mark Blitzarves. Yeah, that, yeah. But what I was going to say was Dangerfield's legacy is very much on the line in this game. And I know that it's a team game. It's not an individual game. But there's a lot of Dangerfield's legacy that is on the line this week. And whether that's right or wrong, I'm not, I'm not going to say. But the way we remember Patrick Dangerfield in 10, 15, 20 years' time, will be determined over the next two weeks of football. He's too good of a player not to be a premiership player. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He's a fantastic player. And so, sometimes you win them and sometimes you don't. And he, he'll go if he doesn't. I mean, Geelong do have one of those sides. They've become a bit of a, a destination club, as we'll talk about a little later in, in, in a bit of the trade talk. But... In terms of premierships and, and legacies and things like that, he's he's 100% committed to winning a flag. And if it's not this year, he'll be he'll be hard-nosed to win one in the next two or three because I have no doubt that he's going to have the same explosiveness that he does. And the way he plays in the forward line, he'll extend his career even further. So I think I think there's still still, chance, still chances after this year, but this is a very good one in, in the current times. I was about to say let's segue into that um, trade talk, but there's just one more little story that I would like to quickly just discuss. This weekend could be the last we see of Gary Ablett Jr., arguably the greatest footballer of the last 20 years. Jake, I know just to the left of you that you've got an autographed picture of Gary Ablett. As a Geelong supporter, what does Gary Ablett mean to you? Oh, I mean... I mean, I know he's older than me, but he feels like one of my kids. I've I've grown up watching him for <laughs> his entire career. It's been it's been fantastic, fantastic to watch. And I know when I speak for speak for myself, I I didn't stop watching him either. I watched I watched every Gold Coast game that he went to. I got a Gold Coast Suns jersey with his number, so that's how dedicated I was to the great man. So it is it is sad that his career is coming to an end. Hopefully. It's not after this weekend. It'd be great to see him, see him play off in the grand final in his final year. So, I mean, there's not too many words that you can, you can say about the man, except he's, he's, if not one of the best of all time, not just the last 20 years. He's proved that just because he had the same name as his dad didn't mean he was going to be the same type of player and, and, the, same, and the same level as well. But he's proved that you can be... You can be yourself, and no matter what, you, no matter what your name is, and no matter who you are, and he's turned himself into a pretty fantastic footballer, if you ask me. So, I, I look forward to watching. Hopefully, what is his last couple of games, and I'll be watching many highlights in the future. That's for sure. And hopefully, he can go out in style because that would be probably a perfect storyline to complete what has been a pretty disappointing, like. I mean, disappointing in the way that we haven't been able to go to games or the vast majority of us haven't been able to go to games. It would be a really nice way to celebrate a shocking year. Yeah. But as as Jake said earlier, 
we would we are going to talk about the destination club that is Geelong. So let's segue there. You add in Brad Crouch and Jeremy Cameron this year. I still don't know how that's even possible to contemplate. But what a that's that's setting you up for next year and probably the year beyond when everyone keeps saying your window is closing and closing fast. And you've just completely opened it to a whole sea of opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna not gonna lie, it's been pretty handy over the last uh, few seasons in getting some pretty pretty steady players. I mean, Danger's not not a bad one either, <laughs> albeit he did want to come home. But yeah, that, getting players like Brad Crouch and Jeremy Cameron would be would be huge for Geelong, and as you said, it would extend, it would extend what is what seems like <laughs> a huge, a huge time frame up the top of the ladder. And that, that will only continue if they, if they manage to sign those two guys, as you said, I don't know. I don't know how, how that works. A lot of people must be taking a lot of, lot less money to get these types of guys into the, to the clubs. It does look like that one of them will at least get to Geelong. When you have things like this, there's always some back and forth and they Brian Cook today, the CEO, said that we are, Geelong is, sorry, I don't want to be too biased. Geelong is looking at, definitely looking at bringing Cameron to Geelong. Sorry, and, he made just, that, and he made it, that public today or yesterday, I believe. They were very, very interesting comments uh, from Brian Cook, given that Geelong are still playing this year. It's very rare for a club to talk about next year's plans while your season's still going on. I found that really odd. I, 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 this might sound weird. I almost now think with comments like that, that's a done deal. I mean, people would think people would take it that way. And I think they're waiting until the season's done. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard a lot go on if Geelong were to bow out this week. And I feel like I might take a little longer after the grand final, but the, the news will be fairly quick in terms of Brad Crouch and Jeremy Cameron once Geelong season does come to a close. But bringing one or either both of them is only going to extend that Geelong time frame even further. So, And it'd be good to get a second forward up there for Tommy to have a little bit of a break every now and then. Yeah, and in some ways a loss is a good thing because you get to find out which players you're interested in. So there's a little bit of a silver lining there. But obviously, that's not the desired outcome. Personally, I think if you are going to get Brad Crouch, it, um, Adelaide will match your offer. I, Geelong won't be offering him huge dollars because of salary cap restraints. And I think Adelaide will want a first-round pick for him. And the only way they're going to get that is if they trade. Because you're not going to be able to offer him enough money to get into the uh, first-round pick, compensation pick. So it'll be a bit like Dangerfield a few years ago, I think. Um, There's rumours swirling everywhere. The other big key forward that is causing a lot of excitement is Ben Brown being pretty much told, we no longer want you at North Melbourne, which still does not make sense to me when you've got Ben Brown. I don't think I would ever say, no, get lost. Essendon, I don't see Collingwood happening because of their, their huge huge salary cap restraints. The only way I think he could go to Collingwood is if Trelaw does go to the Gold Coast. And we've been told that is not happening. So I think we can rule Collingwood out of the Ben Brown race and 
Collingwood actually look like they're going to get uh, Tom McDonald from Melbourne. But I think Melbourne and Essendon are the clear front runners here for Ben Brown. Essendon need a forward for the departing Joe Danaher and Melbourne have made it pretty clear that they want a forward to support Sam Wiedemann and uh, Luke Jackson up forward. Yeah, if I, if, I mean, if I were Ben Brown, I'd certainly, I'd be looking to go to Melbourne. Uh, they're obviously closer in, closer in the frame of making finals and with him, they would go further up the ladder in my opinion and it only strength, strengthens their team, gives them a key vocal point up forward. Sam Wiedemann can become and learn a bit off Ben Brown become the second forward, become a bit dominant for them when Brown moves on. Wiedemann's ready there then for... We, then we have Luke Jack or Melbourne would have uh, Luke Jackson probably playing sort of the second rough role with Max Gorn. Yeah, certainly. I think it would, it, would be a, it would be a very tall side, but I think the, the balance in other dynamic players Melbourne's got could work with playing Jackson, Gorn... Uh, Wiedemann and Brown, I think that balances really well. It's a it's a different sort of balance, but I think it would work. Yeah, certainly so, something different to what Melbourne's put out in the last couple of years in terms of uh, in terms of forward lines. But it's something that would be good and and would be a change to the game plan, which I think might might need a bit of yeah might need a bit of work. But I reckon we'll we'll end up being pretty good for Melbourne in the long run. It'll be interesting to see Melbourne have made quite a few changes to their off-field department in previous years. It does look like Darren Burgess will remain at the club. There was a bit of rumours circulating that Adelaide were interested, but it now looks like he's almost certain to remain in the red and blue. But also the acquisition of uh, club legend Adam Uze returning back to the club as an assistant coach, I think says some really good signs. It's a bit different given that they did the, the new mastermind last year was Alan Richardson and that didn't plan out. He'll now probably move into a director of coaching, director of football role, and Adam Muse will be the senior assistant. Um, but the other big news for Melbourne was the re-signing of former captain Jack Friday. And if uh, on five years, probably a little bit longer than I would have expected. I was probably more around the three-year deal. I thought five was a bit like a deal that they gave him to make sure that he didn't go down to the Cattery. But all eyes is on Nathan Jones to see if he will play another year, which I think every single Melbourne supporter would like to see him to become the second Melbourne player ever to play 300 games following David Neitz. The other quick trade story that I would like to talk about is actually Essendon Jake. I think everyone's looked at the Connor McKenna departure of he wanted to go home which is, yeah, very likely to be true. But I now look at that um, retirement a little bit differently, knowing that Joe Danaher's now said he wants to play for Brisbane. Adam, um, Saad wants to go play for Carlton. And there's rumours that that's for less money than he would have got at Essendon. And it looks like Fantasia will go to South Australia. Is there a culture problem? at it? Like, everyone's saying Essendon's got a poor culture problem. We haven't seen Xavier Campbell, the CEO, speak. We haven't seen Ben Rutten speak. I, I see huge culture problems. Like, you now look at, if you look now look back at McKenna leaving, that's four first 22. You'd almost say four top, four top 12 players at Essendon all walking out the door. 
Yeah, I can certainly certainly see both sides of the story to this. I can I can obviously see see the poor culture with so many people wanting to leave, but in terms of in terms of Danaher, Danaher he was basically out the door last year, but did, nothing got done, and he was still a bit injured. There were rumours last year that Fantasia was going to Adelaide, or got, was going to South Australia, and that never so eventuated. From memory, he's, from memory, he signed a deal very late in the year to remain yeah. a Don. Correct. So those those two those two things almost happened as well. So you you, you got to look at it with a bit of bit of a grant. A grain of salt and yes it could be for poor culture but it could be another 12 months and they've thought about it so in terms of culture and and whether or not it's good i don't think it's i don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination there's definitely some sort of problems at at Bomberland, but in terms of players leaving it's not a good look that that's that's the main thing that's the main point i take out of it it's really it's a bad look and you obviously have North losing up to 13 players from from their squad this year, and that's certainly not a good look either. So I know that was delistings and things like that, but any players going out of your club just has a bad a bad look, a bad vibe about it. And as you said, haven't heard much from the coach or the CEO or anything like that. And that that just keeps adding to the problems that, that Essendon are having in this offseason. Can't you say that some of that poor culture could be down to holding players to their contract when they wanted to leave? Like if, like, um, let's just use a workplace for an example. If you're unhappy, most workplaces will say, "If you don't want to be here, we don't want you because we don't want you around, ruining the culture and the attitudes of other people within the workplace." Could having Joe Danaher and Fantasia, who didn't want to be there, remain at the club? another year actually have been more detrimental than not yeah it really could have been but then then i look at the games that joe danaher played and and when he got back he, i mean he got back to playing and there was a probably a feeling a little feeling in in every essendon support of it oh he actually might stay but i reckon he knew i reckon he knew well and truly in advance that he was going and wanted to go but just this, you could see the enjoyment that he was having out of his footy when he when he came back and kicked those three goals in in his return, and he was having a, he was having a wonderful time. I think he just needs a change of scenery, and it'll be good for him. Yes, yes, it will. I think, and you add him to Brisbane, that'll keep them in the premiership hunt a little bit longer. Now, there's two certainties in life at the moment. Death and taxes. You might as well add Marnus Lebeshane. Continue to improve because that's what caught my eye in the first round of the Sheffield Shield. Another 100 to Marnus Lebeshane and actually a great bowling performance as well. He was uh, one of a few all-rounders to uh, get wickets and 100 over the weekend. And how good was that? It was awesome to see Marsh cricket. I should Marsh Shield cricket, I should say. It's a bit weird to say at the moment, but... I'm definitely used to calling it the uh, Sheffield Shield, but we'll get... Oh, it's called the Marsh Sheffield Shield. I don't know. Who knows? We'll work that I'm out. Feeling it's the Mar- I think it's the Marsh Sheffield Shield. We'll work that uh, one out later. Yeah, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll get yeah, better. It's, we should probably know that. It's a sports podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll get better. Don't worry. But, yeah, no, this this round of games certainly were, were one of the all-rounders. You had guys like... 
Agar. You could include Marnus if you wanted to in there. And and as well as Niso took a fifer and made 100 as well, which you probably wouldn't have seen coming at all. Um, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better better round to start off the season. There was just so much going on. There was hundreds and, and fifers everywhere. And, and, and the best part and about uh, it is was they were two cracking games that yeah to start off the season they they were they were fantastic they both albeit one one was a bit of an outright game but it was close coming down to the end so and that, and it was an exciting finish to watch and then you had South Australian and and WA as well which came down came down to the wire too so it was a good way to start off and a lot of a lot of good performing players as well that's for sure. The uh, a couple of concerns would be uh, Tim Payne's batting, once again wasn't brilliant. And the other thing that really caught my eye is something I didn't like seeing was Peter Siddle playing for Tasmania. I'm a Victorian. I want to see Peter Siddle play for Victoria, but his bleached hair was also Sid's. No, don't don't have the bleached hair, please. I love you, but I'm not a fan of the bleached hair. I'm um, just confirming for those uh, wondering. It is the Marsh Sheffield Shield. There you go. So I was half wrong, half right at the same time. But yeah, just heading back to Tim Payne, it's it, it is it is starting to get concerning with his batting. I'm very I'm very worried coming up to the summer if if it does happen, and and worried about his his position as a batsman. Absolutely fine with is his glove. Expert? Absolutely fine with his glove work, but his batting is really starting to let him down. And there may need to be a change sooner rather than later, and we weren't expecting it. Um, can I just ask you a, a question a little bit without notice? Would your would his batting be a concern to you if he wasn't the Australian captain? Because Australian cricket's had a culture for pretty much definitely our entire lifetimes, but even well and truly before that the Australian captain scores runs. Now before 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 I <laughs> I won't say bag before I have a bit of a go. Loved what Tim Payne's done over the last few years. Couldn't couldn't admire admire the man more. He's taken on a difficult period in Australian cricket and we definitely needed him in this time and he's done a he's done a great job. All right. Pause from that. Now, if he wasn't the Australian captain, I'd don't see him in my 11 at all. I would run with someone else. He's, he's in the team at the moment because he's the captain and he's done a magnificent job over, over time. And I'm not doubting that. But right now, his, his batting is not up to standard. And, and that's pretty brutal. Obviously, they haven't played too much cricket over the last six, seven months. But his batting of late, especially in tests as well, hasn't been up to scratch. And is it time that we move on and take some and take a young keeper, maybe not not young necessarily, maybe we, we roll with an Alex Carey. Put him at Just, seven, give him I a go. Ask, I was about to ask you about Alex Carey because it was only a few weeks ago during the Tour of England that people were starting to question his batting ability with the gloves. Because he wasn't hadn't scored many runs for Australia for a while. Is it worth just keeping with Tim Power? For me? I love Tim Payne. I remember before that Ashes series he selected, you and I went to a Shield game where Matthew Wade was the uh, wicketkeeper for Tasmania and uh, Tim Payne was in the field. And I said to you, Jake, why don't they give Tim Payne the gloves next week, in a couple of weeks for the Ashes? And you laughed at me 
and said, hey, it's not actually a bad idea, but there's no chance of it happening. I was right. That's not the point here. But I'm just saying I would keep Tim Payne. I, I, I personally think Tim Payne should be the Australian captain for as long as Tim Payne wants to be the captain because the changes that he has made to Australian cricket are superb. He's brought us out of arguably us hitting rock bottom to us leaving England with the Ashes urn, which Ricky Ponting, Michael Clark, uh, Steve Smith failed to do. Ricky Ponting, arguably our best ever captain, couldn't even do it, and Tim Payne could. I can live with the batting at the moment. I, it's hard. Reason being is you've got David Warner at the top of the order, who is pretty much indestructible on Australian soil. You've got Marnus Lebeshane, who is improving every facet of his game every single day. And you hear stories about what he did in lockdown on buying synthetic grass for his garage so he could practice cricket. Then got Steve Smith, arguably the best batsman in the world. I think we've got the runs this summer against India with those three. I can spare a 20 or a 30 from Tim Payne. Yeah, no, I don't... I don't know how much longer after the Australian Test summer I can continue to say that. Yeah, in in no way am I questioning questioning his leadership or anything like that. You're right. He deserves to be in the team at the moment. But if this continues, then he needs to then they really start needing to think of of the next plan because right now it's fine as you said with the team making runs and with guys like Smith and Labuschagne and, and, and Warner to an extent as well, there's so much, there's not enough time for Tim Payne to be spending out in the middle when he's got guys like Warner and Smith and Labuschagne batting for days and days on end. He doesn't get the chance. And then at this point, when he does get out in the middle, it's not, it's not good. It's, it's to the detriment of the team. And until and if you have guys failing, if if, if Smith and Warner and Labuschagne all fail, I haven't seen him maybe once, maybe once or twice. I haven't seen him take the game by the scruff of the neck and keep batting, keep batting, keep batting. Uh, I think you've, I think you're very quick to remember. I did say I did say time. once or I did say once or twice. Remember that, Matt. Yeah, I, I know, but he did have a probably his best batting summer of his career last summer. He made a, I think two fifties for Australia, and he made a for Tasmania and he also did hold a, a session or two to steer Australia to a draw in the UAE against Pakistan a couple of years ago. I think he's a better batsman than people give credit. I think he's got one of the best batting techniques there is. He just somehow even though he's got the superb technique, doesn't convert it into runs often enough. Yeah, no, I completely agree. His technique is, is, is flawless. It's, his, it's one of the best techniques. It's probably second behind Usman Khawaja for me. I love, I love watching Uzi bat. But there's only so long that he can, can be in the team and it's not a detriment to the team, is my, is, is my, my, other, is my is, point. My other concern is he needs to pull the trigger now or he's our captain until the end of the Asher series next summer. Like that, that, I know that's going to be a weird call, but I don't think 
we've we've done it before in the past and like Steve Water, Ricky Ponting, we don't want to have our captain retire at the end of this summer and then have a new captain. Could be a returning captain with Steve Smith the following summer. If it's I guess if it's Steve Smith, it's not so much of a problem. But if Tim Payne does hang up the, the gloves at the end of the year, I've got a huge concerns for the Astros next summer. Huge concerns. I personally don't because we have that captain ready and waiting. And it's going to be Steve Smith. Everyone knows it's going to be Steve Smith. A lot of people don't yeah, want it, it to it, be Steve Smith. I don't. There's no issue. In in my eyes, there's no issues whatsoever when Tim Payne retires. I, I'm, I'm the same, only if we go back to Smith, which is what I want. If it's Smith, it's not a problem. If it's anyone else, they need this summer against India to learn the Australian captaincy. Yeah, completely agree. Steve Smith already up. Steve Smith has earned the right to captain Australia again, without a doubt, in my eyes. Yeah, and and certainly he'll, whenever Tim Payne decides to to hang it up, he'll he'll if he is the one, I feel like he could take it over at, and at any point in time, which is which is really good to have in the wings. Not so great how it happened, but it's good to have in the wings that Tim Tim Payne can feel like that he's not just handing it over to someone who's. Who's no, who hasn't done the job before. He's handing it over to a guy yeah. that was that was pretty good and knows his stuff. So in, in terms and of had, that, there's no issues at all. Yeah. And like, yeah, the thing is, what I was trying to say, and I think I said it badly, if the next captain Steve Smith, I have no problem with Tim Payne captaining this year. But if Steve Smith is not the man, the new man needs to captain this summer. Whether it's a Marnus Lebeshane or a... Pat Cummings, Nathan Lyon, Travis Head. They're probably the front runners. But I, I, I do think Steve Smith is the wisest of them all. And you saw that tactically um, during the Headingley test when he was next to Justin Langer saying, why aren't they bringing the field up for the last ball of the over to keep Leach on strike? Like, that's, that, that is an isolated example and even me, I play fifth eleven cricket in the lowest grade in in the competition. I even I know to bring the field up to keep the lesser batsmen on strike. I know Test cricket's a grind, and you might not be thinking that, but it was that was the one day I've had an issue with Tim Payne's captaincy was the Headingley Test. Bit of a tangent here, but we know that Steve Smith is a tactical genius when it comes to cricket. And that's why I think that plus the community work he's done since Sandpaper Gate and all that is why I think he should be captain. But moving on, Jake, you want to do a quick recap of the NRL final series? Yeah, not, not too much of a, a big spiel here. I just wanted to update, update everyone on, on how, the, how the final series is currently going. I'll, I'll take you back to last week where actually both teams that won their elimination finals uh, progress through the preliminary finals. Oh, for those of you who don't know, the NRL has the same final system as the AFL. They didn't in a past time, but they have more recently moved to the same system as the AFL. But yeah, on the weekend, the Canberra Raiders, who finished in fifth position over the course of the season, actually defeated the Roosters in, a, in what was a cracking game. Raiders got the jump on them early, and then the Roosters came storming back. But 
the Raiders ended up prevailing by four points in that one. And they will be taking on the mighty Melbourne Storm on Friday night, which I'll be certainly tuning into. It's going to be a great weekend of sport for me. Everything's lining up on each night. So it's going to be going to be great. And in the other semi-final, we had the depleted Eels, Parramatta Eels, unfortunately, go down to the Rabbitohs. Sort of saw this one coming in their game, in the Eels game against the Storm in the first week. They lost both wingers to what was both season-ending season injuries and they're some of their key players right there. And it was, it was, they were the underdogs from the outset. Unfortunately, even finishing in third position, they were, they were the definite underdog and the Rabbitohs hold, held firm right throughout the game and ended up winning by 14 points. And uh, they'll, they'll be taking on the Penrith Panthers who only lost the one game for the season. On the, on the Saturday night, which will be another cracking game there. So just to recap, the Storm and the Raiders will be on the Friday night, second v fifth. And the Penrith Panthers, who finished on top of the table, will be taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the other preliminary final. So a lot of exciting games on this weekend. I'll definitely be tuning into both of those. So I suggest you all do the same. That's all for the NRL for this week. Yeah, and we're just going to quickly uh, go back a couple of days to the Formula One Grand Prix that was at the legendary Nürburgring, where we saw Lewis Hamilton do what many people expected he would do this year and equaled the great Michael Schumacher's record of 91 Grand Prix wins. Obviously, it was really sad that Michael couldn't be there to be part of the celebrations, due to his um, unfortunate accident a few years, which he is still recovering from. But what was great was his son, who is likely to get a Formula One drive next year with Alfa Romeo Sauber. Um, Mick Schumacher did his presentation after the Grand Prix and presented Lewis with um, one of his, his father's race helmets. And it was a, it was a magical moment. Like I, there's not many moments in sport where you get a bit teary, where you see the greats succeed. And this was just a moment that it was, it was great that Mick was there, but so sad that Michael couldn't be there. So Michael Schumacher, uh, sorry, Lewis Hamilton is now one win away from the all time record for most Formula One victories. And going off his form so far this year, he's, probably going to uh, make that record his own at the next race next weekend at Portimao in Portugal. And if not there, it'll be at the legendary Imola circuit the week after. The other couple of things from this superb race at the Nürburgring, which just happens to be one of my favourite tracks, was uh, Lance Stroll pulled out on Saturday during practice and they had to call up a Nico Hulkenberg in, at 11 o'clock on uh, set then say, hey, Nico, um, do you want to drive a Formula One car this afternoon? And he was like, yep, sure. Luckily, he lives an hour away, drove to the track, hopped in the car, drove. He got no practice in qualifying, did qualify last, as the car had been updated significantly since he last drove the car filling in for the COVID-sick uh, Sergio Perez in the UK. 
car's been upgraded, so it was a little bit different to what it used to be when he or what it was ten races ish ago, eight races ago. Um, drove it last, but then what he did on Saturday, he drove from last to eighth place. Superb drive. If you are a team that is looking for a Formula One driver at the moment, Nico Holkenberg is your guy. Could he join Max Verstappen at Red Bull? Or could he be joining Haas in an all-new driver lineup? There's some big questions to ask. But the reason why I'm wearing this cap today, the Renault yellow and black hat, was to celebrate Daniel Ricciardo returning to the podium after nearly two and a half years uh, not on the podium, which is pretty hard to think of when you uh, hard to imagine, given that uh, Ricardo is probably in the in my mind the third best driver on the grid. His racing over the last few weeks has been superb. He's deserved the podium. He's finished fourth, fifth, fourth, and he finally got the podium. Well done, Daniel Ricardo. He was so happy about it. He forgot to do a shoey on the podium. He has since done the shoey, um, but congratulations, Daniel. Uh, your boss at Renault, Cyril, I'm just going to call him Cyril because I can't, I'm not even going to attempt his surname, now has to get a tattoo of your choice. Congratulations, Renault. It's your first podium since 2012. Now, Jake, also on Saturday night, or Sunday night, another record was equaled for the most Grand Slam wins. I hear you want to talk about the uh, Rafa, Rafa's superb win at Roland Garros. Yeah, and I'm sure you'll have a bit to say about this as well. Uh, I know the tennis hasn't been at the forefront of every, anyone's mind, really, because they're playing the Roland Garros in the middle of October, and that just, that just doesn't happen. So not a lot of people are talking about it, and well, not a lot of people I know have been talking about the tennis, but... It doesn't mean this is any less significant than any other Grand Slam. Rafa had an absolute dominant tournament. It's it's fair to say he he didn't look like being beaten even after. I believe someone in no, Novak Djokovic's camp said Djokovic had the edge or something like that. I don't know what the exact words were there. And in the final, he just looked absolutely ready from the beginning taking the first set six love. It was, it was astonishing. I don't think anyone watching would have expected that. And then closed it out six, two, seven, five and one in straight sets. It was, it was magnificent. I really, I really think a lot of people underrate Rafa. I know that's, that sounds a little strange. I know Roger Federer gets, gets the goat calls, but I feel like, that Rafa deserves to be right up there now. And, and with the same amount of Grand Slams, I don't think there's going to be, I don't think there should be, as it dis- disrespects either Roger or Rafa, just, just there should be no goat of men's tennis at the moment. I feel like that they've both earned the respect of each other and the respect of everyone to just have it, have it be. And no one talk about who's better than the other. And obviously... They're going to be better than one another on 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 any given day, and you can throw Novak in there as well. They can beat each other any time and whenever. So, in terms of there being a goat in tennis, I personally don't like it. I think they should all be, especially Rafa and Roger, they should just be in the in the one class of their own, as as the best two male tennis players to have played the game. 
for me, it's splitting Roger and Rafa. It's a bit like splitting who's your favourite kid. There's reasons to love both of them. You love them equally and you just can't decide. Personally, I'm 51% Roger, 49% Rafa. Yeah. And, and, I'm the, the, I have, yeah. and you're 51, 49 the other way. I'm That's not it. saying that either of us would have a hypothetical favourite chart, but that was probably a bad metaphor in the end, Jake. But um, I, I love them both. I, I think they've both got strengths and weaknesses. Roger's superb on grass and on the hard surfaces in the US and Australia, and uh, Rafa's unbeatable on clay. I'm just going to say unbeatable because there's no other... There's, I've never seen someone dominate a particular element more than Rafa has it on clay in any sport. Yeah, the dominance that he's had on at that tournament for, for so long, I believe it was his 100th win at Roland Garros. So that just goes to show how dominant he's been over the years. So you're definitely right there. Yeah, and there's also in another positive story for the year, and I think every basketball fan in the world since the tragic news about Kobe had a little part of them wanted the Lakers to win this year. And that vision, or that became a reality just a couple of days ago with the LA Lakers winning another NBA championship. LeBron James has done it again. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd never admit to any of my Laker supporter friends, but there was a little bit of me that was was glad that they did win for for solely the the Kobe reason. Obviously, he was a huge figure in Lakers basketball and was a huge figure in their history as well, winning five championships. So, in terms of that, very very happy they won for him. In terms of me going for the LA Clippers and the LA Lakers winning the title, not so much. But was a good series in the end. I feel like the Heat did have their chances. They just didn't take them. And that's, and that's partially due to the, the great combination that was LeBron and Anthony Davis. So you can't take it away from the Lakers. It's their title now, and they'll be looking to defend it for sure next season. So I'll look forward to it. And if it wasn't for... And if it wasn't for the dominance of LeBron and Anthony Davis, we'd be celebrating the heroic performance of uh, Jimmy Butler. Some of the basketball that he displayed over the, was it games four and five, was mind-blowing, to say the least. I couldn't have put it better myself. He was, he certainly, in my eyes, went up, went up a lot of ranking points in, in terms of, the leaderboard in players, he was he was phenomenal. He was playing 45, 46, 47 minutes a game. For those who don't know, there's 48 minutes of basketball game time. So to, to keep backing that up and keep backing it up well and playing well and in some games, in, in one of the games, he, then, he became one of and the... And they were do-or-die do games as well. Yeah, every game. Every game that the Heat played in the finals, he, had, he was an important and integral part of... Of, of where they got to in that particular game and, and certainly showed that he he's definitely a superstar and he'll do nothing but to get a championship for that for that franchise and 
he'll work his butt off next year as well. He he said he he would get a title for for this for this group and this franchise, and he said he fell short this year, which is very tough on himself. But all I feel like all NBA players are very very hard on themselves. But he he wants to get that title for Miami, and I I feel like he's gonna have a big even bigger season than he did this year next year. Probably even in the MVP calculations next year by, in my eyes personally. But the other big basketball story, particularly big here in Australia, is the uh, the announcement from Basketball Australia that Brett Brown will not be coaching Australia to the 2021 Tokyo Games. Jake, what's your read on this as our basketball expert? To begin with, it's, it is a little disappointing for being an Australian fan. Obviously, Brett Brown's done a lot of work in the NBA. He worked his NBA team all the way from 10 wins in an 82 game season, all the way through to conference semifinals. So he's, he's certainly got that coaching ability to work his team up and build it up and build it up. And the 76ers had faith all the way, but over the last couple of seasons, they, they started to sort of taper off a little bit and sort of become a bit stagnant. And obviously due to that happening, he, he did get the flick after the first round of the playoffs this year. And obviously that goes hand in hand with him not uh, being the Australian coach for the, for the Olympics. Disappointing for Australian fans. Hopefully they, they can land someone of significance. I know they've got, they've got Luke Longley there, who's a, a stalwart of the NBA, played with the uh, Michael Jordan Bulls never would have got the uh, three-peat if Luke Longley wasn't there setting screens for Michael Jordan. But we'll, uh, we'll I didn't move. even know he played with – I didn't know he played with uh, Michael Jordan given that he wasn't in the uh, last dance, Jake. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very true. He did uh, He he did say not – he didn't want to be in it, so it, that's why he wasn't featured in that, actually. A lot of people don't know that, but he, he asked not to be featured in, in that documentary series. But, yeah, no, in terms of uh, coaching – It'll be interesting to see who, who they go with, whether it is an Australian-born coach. I mean, there's a lot of options here in Australia, for sure. Could it be, could it be the Australian flag bearer from the 2000 Olympic Games in uh, Andrew Gaze? Look, I don't, Andrew Gaze has got a lot, of, a lot of stuff on his hands, so I don't think it will be Gazey. I don't think his coaching stint with the Sydney Kings went too great, in, in my eyes. I don't think it was that amazing. But they'll find someone good. They'll, there's a lot of good Australian options, and there's a lot of there's a few Australian coaches out in the NBA, so they might they might grab grab someone from there because I'm sure someone will be definitely willing to to lead what is a very very good looking Australian team into the Olympics, and will probably go as far as they ever have. Hopefully, fingers crossed. We always say that, and it never happens, but fingers crossed. Hopefully, it does happen this coming Olympics. And we're we're. Probably just about, we've either gone over time or we're just about to go over time. And I just would like your quick answer on this. In a couple of words, Brett Brown will be coaching blank next season. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this team. It's called Nowhere. He will not be coaching an NBA team next year, in my eyes. He will not be in the NBA. He will have a year or two out of the NBA. He may return. I just don't think he's of that coaching nature where 
he's able to get a, a job straight away, like a Doc Rivers. He was fired and then three or four days later, he was hired by the 76ers. So I don't think he's got that that high status like what Doc Rivers does, but he'll be back. Just not just not yet, I don't think, in the next couple of seasons. I know I said I would only ask you one more question. Was it a mistake giving up the Australian job given that you don't think he'll be in the NBA next year? No, I don't think it was. He's he's obviously done it for, for personal reasons, I think, with everything going on with losing his job for in the NBA and then I think it's hit him a little bit harder. He's just taking his mind. I think he's taking his mind off basketball and at this point in time he's wants to take his focus somewhere else and that's probably a good thing. Take a bit of a, a break and take a bit of a breather. That's it and just reset the batteries. So in the end he will be back but just not in the short term I don't think. Yep. Absolutely. I- agree with you because you're our basketball expert and I do trust you on any issue in basketball but that will do us on an extra long welcome back issue of the Under Pressure podcast we'll see you next week but before then we've got so much sport, we've got footy finals, we've got the Bathurst 1000, we've pretty much got everything this weekend so we've got a big weekend on the couch watching sports until then We'll see you on the next.